2: Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Monday uh, to you and yours. Uh, happy Monday, uh, happy start of the week uh, to you. And we have a great week of shows planned for you today. And we're gonna get off to an awesome start today on Monday. What a better day to get off to a good start than at the beginning of the week. Uh, Royce White uh, will be here, uh, as will Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell, Uh, They'll be here today. We got a tightly bunched, powerful show. Uh, We're gonna talk about Tim Anderson, Tony La Russa and Josh Donaldson. We're gonna talk about Tiger Woods and what happened to him at the PGA Championship. We're gonna talk about uh, my favorite uh, left wing comedian, Bill Maher. I've been a fan of Bill Maher for close to 15, 20 years. The guy just keeps coming further and further over uh, to my way of thinking. And we'll talk about that uh, with Steve Kim as well. But uh, we're going to (laughs) start with baseball, which we don't normally do. But something fascinating has happened uh, in the baseball world. And so I'm going to start a fire about what happened in the baseball world. And then we're going to bring Royce White in to fan those flames. Uh, So let's get it started. Without further ado, Uh, Tony La Russa, he's a baby groomer. His pronouns are they and them. The legendary 77-year-old baseball skipper and best friend of Bob Knight and Bill Parcells has apparently bowed to the social media and social justice wins and reinvented himself as a groomer. He's overseen the transition of the Chicago White Sox into a sixth grade girls softball team. Adhering to leftist custom, Chicago's lone African-American player, Tim Anderson, volunteered to be the first major leaguer to sacrifice his stick and balls. Saturday night, Anderson erupted in anger and emotion because a member of the New York Yankees, Josh Donaldson, trolled him with the nickname Jackie, a reference to the Hall of Famer, Jackie Robinson. Three years ago, in a Sports Illustrated interview, Anderson analogized himself to the baseball pioneer who integrated Major League Baseball in 1947. Anyone remotely familiar with sports culture isn't surprised that Anderson's opponents would use the analogy to rib the shortstop. La Russa has been involved with professional baseball for 59 years. He made his Major League debut in 1963 with the Kansas City Athletics. An infielder, La Russa is acutely aware of the kind of banter players use to get inside the head of an opponent. Jackie is quite possibly the tamest and lamest insult ever uttered on a baseball diamond, football field, basketball court, soccer pitch, or ice hockey rink. La Russa compared it to one of the worst. Here's Tony La Russa describing the grave insult of being called Jackie. Uh,
1: He made a racist comment, Donaldson, and that's all I'm gonna say. Mm. That's
3: pretty strong. That's as strong as
2: it gets. La turned a routine bench clearing standoff into a Black Lives Matter debate. To no one's shock, Tim Anderson embraced the role of baby George Floyd with a heavy dose of Jussie Smollett. Anderson loves attention. He's a bat-flipping showboat. Here's him leaning into the controversy he started, Larusa fueled, and now Anderson is taking to the next level.
3: Yeah, he just made a, you know, disrespectful comment. Uh, You know, basically is you know, trying to call me Jackie Robinson. Like, what's up, Jackie? Um, You know. I don't play like that, you know, and I don't, I don't really play at all. Uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really, you know, bothering nobody today, but, uh, you know, he made a comment, and, uh, you know, it was, it was disrespectful, and uh, I don't think it was called for, It was unnecessary. That was when you guys crossed past the shortstop there at the, end of the third. <laughs> yeah, but that happened in the first, the first time he got on, you know, and I spared him that time, uh, and then it happened again. Um, and, you know, uh, it was just, you know, it's just uncalled for. You know, it's not, I got like time to, you know, be playing like that. How'd you manage to continue? that kind of comment? Uh, you know, uh, I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I don't know, to be honest, uh, you know, uh, it was very disrespectful, you know. I uh, don't want to play like that. You call it disrespectful, Tony just said it was racist, Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, same, same, same along, along that same line, yeah.
2: If you're gonna say it, say it with your chest stuck out. Don't say it with your head down. It was disrespectful and uh, I, I don't play like that. It was disrespectful. Yeah. He knows what he's saying is a crock of doo-doo. That's why he won't make eye contact with anybody and that's why he's mumbling and he doesn't say it with his chest out. Anderson overreacted to Donaldson's harmless jab. The race card justified Anderson's on-field blow up put Donaldson on the defensive and summon Major League Baseball to launch an investigation. I'd love to know what exactly the league is going to investigate. Donaldson cop to calling Anderson Jackie. Listen for yourself.
3: All right, so first inning I called him Jackie so let me give you a little context of that 2019 he came out with an interview said that he's a new Jackie Robinson of baseball he's going to bring back fun for the game right and 2019 when I played for Atlanta we actually joked about that on the game um, I don't know what's changed from the, and I've said it to him uh, in years past not not in any manner than just joking around for the fact that he call himself Jackie Robinson you know um, so you know if something has changed uh, from that like my meaning of that is not at any term uh, trying to be racist by any fact of the matter um, it was just off of an interview that what he called himself and we said that before we joked about it he laughed whatever. whatever uh,
2: What is there to investigate? I mean, seriously. What's the investigation going to entail? And why is the media playing along with this? What needs to be investigated is the public mutilation of Anderson's genitals. Three years ago, in the Sports Illustrated article where he compared himself to Jackie Robinson, Anderson... Proudly boasted about calling Royals pitcher Brad Keller a weak-ass effing N-word. He called Keller a weak-ass effing N-word. Anderson received a one-game suspension for that derogatory attack. Keller is white. I'm sure the light discipline given to Anderson for that bit of racism caught the attention of many white major league players. Anderson's defiance surely registered too. It's also difficult to miss Anderson's delusion and or racial dysphoria. In the Sports Illustrated piece, Anderson and the writer, a woman named Stephanie Epstein, insinuated that Band-Aid, Yes, Band-Aid, the thing you put on when you get a little hurt, a scar, is racist because it doesn't make Band-Aids in Anderson's skin tone. Here's the paragraph. I'm not making this up. This is the paragraph. It includes a quote from Anderson. This is Stephanie Epstein, some Sports Illustrated writer that I'm sure knows everything about baseball culture. And this is how, here's the quote or here's the paragraph. Sometimes the indignities are smaller. After the Royal series, Anderson tore up his left thumb, sliding into second in Detroit. So he dug around in the team first aid kit until he found a one inch dot the color of flesh, someone else's flesh. Quote from Anderson, that's small. We got bigger problems, end quote but it is symbolic of his place in his sport in 2019. Anderson plays a white man's game and he plays it in a white man's Band-Aid. This man compared himself to Jackie Robinson in an article where he's claiming Band-Aids are racist. And just, but they're just a small problem, but it's, he's playing a white man's game in a white man's Band-Aid. I wouldn't call Anderson Jackie. I'd call him Band-Aid or Karen. He thinks, or they think, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's got pronoun problems, too. His purpose in life is to be a racism hunter. Racism and victimhood, honey, are the new path to stardom. It's Star Trek. Race, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the racism enterprise. It's Black Lives Matter mission to explore strange, inconsequential interactions, to seek out new racism and victimhood, to boldly go where no real man has gone before. No real man wants to be a victim. But the left has convinced black men there's no higher form of black humanity than being a damsel in distress. Instead of Tony La Russa telling Anderson to calm down, act like a man, there's no crying in baseball, and sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me, La Russa baited Anderson to act like a bitch. That's the prevailing message to all men. But black men are the lab rats of the emasculation movement. We're the first to surrender our stick and balls. We're the bells of this ball. Everyone knows it. We're mocked in popular culture. In Game of Thrones, everybody was fighting for power except a group of ballless black men called the Unsullied. Tim Anderson is Grey Worm. He snapped because his feelings got hurt when little Joshy called him Jackie. Larusa. and members of the White Sox consoled little Timmy Anderson, claiming Joshy was racist. Black men are perceived to be that fragile and that unstable. No one can tell us the truth and no one can criticize our behavior. In a story where he defends calling an opposing player a weak ass effing N-word, and insinuates that Band-Aid colors are racist, Tim Anderson compared himself to Jackie Robinson. The jokes write themselves. Anderson is a talented baseball player with the mental capacity of an eight-year-old girl. You know why he's that weak and stupid? Because the world constructed by the left rewards him for being that weak and stupid. It has nothing to do with his skin color. Jackie Robinson had the exact same complexion. Robinson lived during an era when the world rewarded men for their intellect, emotional control, and strength. Men are being transitioned into little girls, and little girls are being transitioned into grown men. Weak, old men like Tony La Russa are too afraid to do anything about it. At age 77, with millions of dollars in the bank, La Russa would rather collect another check grooming men for castration then take the risk of telling anderson or any black man to man up (sighs) that's my fire I, i again it's a it's a constant theme on this show the emasculation of men and how black men are at the front of that line of men getting emasculated, and Tim Anderson has no idea that he's been emasculated and that his teammates that are caping up for him are caping up for him because they think he's weak and stupid. And they think if they don't pander to him, they think if they told him the truth, like, dude, he called you Jackie, shut up and play ball, that they don't think he can handle that. They got to deal with him like a little weak child, like a weak little girl. Let's throw the ball to him underhanded. Let's make sure we don't say anything that hurted his feelings. We don't want to hurt his feelings. Oh my God, if he gets called Jackie, he'll fall apart. There were people talking about how courageous it was for, for Tim Anderson to play yesterday. And oh my God, under all that stress and pressure, and with the Yankees fans booing him and calling him Jackie, he hit a home run. Oh, this is just unbelievable courage. No, it's not. It's an attention whore getting the attention he desperately wants. That's who Tim Anderson is, an attention whore. Go look at all the controversies he's been involved in. He loves and seeks attention. And he'll get it by any means necessary. He's no different than Jussie Smollett. (sighs) Royce, uh, let's roll out to Minneapolis, bring Royce in. Hey man, what's going on with sports culture? Where getting called Jackie on the baseball field is somehow a shot below the, the belt, and we got we got to launch an investigation by MLB. And look, I know I'm old. That's why I'm bringing you in. You're not old. You're still playing. You're an athlete. You're you're just in your early 30s, 30, 31 years old. Is it out of bounds? Do we not trash talk anymore in sports? Are people that weak and fragile?
0: This entire thing is, is outrageous. Um, you know, the, these, these are champagne problems from, from people who are completely detached with the real the real issues of the world. And I thought it was completely ridiculous for Anderson to reference reference himself as Jackie Robinson in the first place. Uh, let alone get mad for Donaldson referring to him as Jackie when when it was just a, a you know a repeating of his own characterization and and I thought it was ridiculous for Donaldson to even qualify and, and apologize and and Larusso is way way out in left field um, but but as petty as this is the, the cultural implications are are huge they're they're uh, incredibly big and the cultural implication here is that. Racism is going to continue to be used as this, uh, you know, w- way to categorize and, 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 and clump together anything that's anti-narrative, anything that's anti-establishment, and, and they'll do it through a string of, of vastly different instances you got this will be called racism i'll be called far right you'll be called far right steve bannon is a white supremacist and they'll tie it all to the buffalo shooter as the outcome of when uh white supremacy and violence goes too far and the great scam and lie of it all is that they want black people to become victims of, of of race violence and the buffalo shooter situation does seem to be an, an instance where where it was a racially motivated uh attack on black people but the establishment loves it when that happens. The establishment foams at the mouth. You can see the sparkle in their eyes when, when Black people are the victims of, of any type of racial violence. And, you know, you, you can tell that none of this wokeism is really an effort to empower Black people or to protect Black people. Because if, if you're watching this today and you're Black and you're really worried about the violence of white supremacy breaking out in your local community, go get a conceal and carry. Start to shoot every day. And I realized that this officer that shot the Buffalo shooter in the chest six times, but didn't take him down because he was wearing a Kevlar vest, easy correction. If a mass shooter breaks out and you're there and you're armed, shoot for the head. And I think if there were 10 black people in that store that day that were armed and had been trained to shoot, that shooter would have had a much more difficult time killing as many people. And even if he was able to kill as many people, I would rather have a gun and be able to defend myself then be the victim. And the, the establishment likes us being victims and they'll use these champagne instances of Anderson being called Jackie to, to homogenize a boogeyman of white supremacy. It's ridiculous.
2: What, and you've said a mouthful, all of it true, but what drives me crazy is this whole victim thing that they've made the gold standard is really about being weak. I, I just don't, I did not grow up in any way wanting to be a victim and looking for my victimhood and just one, oh my God, a white person treated me poorly and didn't give me the ultimate amount of respect. I must share this with the world. Does Tim Anderson have any idea how weak he looks and will any teammate or maybe not a teammate because he well is there anybody black in baseball or in sports that might tap him on the shoulder and say hey man pull your skirt down man this is a bad look we we can see that they've castrated you bro w- will anybody tell him that no no
0: they won't and and again this entire wokeism uh um, cultural uh undermining uh, of America of America is by design and the weakness is by design you got to realize if you if you take a step back and look, look at it from the 30,000 foot view we have traded our freedom for security and materialism I've said it before but I'll say it again and in and in trading our our freedom for security and materialism we have uh, created this virtue signaling and faux outrage, to deal with the the reality that we realize we have no control we've given up all control and agency and sovereignty in our everyday lives and so these are the these are the claims these are the claims of grievance politics and identity politics that 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 are the substitute for uh, us actually not having any real governance self-governance in our lives and that you know part of it is is liberal white women just you know running amok and the beta males sitting in the background counting their chips Running up, a running up a, a tab, you know, running up their bank accounts off of it and black people playing right into it because all of our cultural leaders that, that preached against it, they killed them. See, I, I want to say this, Listen, to, uh, go ahead, go ahead.
2: Well I, I wanted to go to your point because you've consistently made the point about the liberal white woman and the harm. That, that she has done to black men and black culture. I think this perfectly fits into the Sports Illustrated story written in 2019, written by a Stephanie Epstein, white woman, I would sh- I'm sure a liberal. And, and, and just like, hey man, you gotta be careful with who you give access to to frame your image. And again, this is I know some very talented, accomplished female sports writers. But I also know that they, many of them uh, tend to write from a point of view and perspective that's not consistent with the male masculinity motif or whatever. And so this guy let some liberal white woman write a piece framing him in 2019. And that's how you get someone writing that Band-Aids are racist. And this is a symptom of just how much oppression he faces and how isolated he is. That even when he gets an owie on his arm, he can't find a black Band-Aid. This is like she put a clown suit on this guy and I'm not sure he's remotely aware of it.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think he understands it. I think a lot of these woke athletes understand the way they're being used by the establishment and by the narrative. Um, And it's a way for us to try and hide from taking any responsibility. Right. And all of this perpetual victimhood and, and weakness, again, is is a is a predicate for us to give over our authority to government. That's the slow encroachment that's taking place here you're going to be a victim of racism and white supremacy unless we the government protect you from that unless we come in and save you unless we are able to indoctrinate people with with ideologies that are anti-god and and and, and uh, uh, anti-christian or anti-american to to protect you from from victimhood Uh, and and again you got to look at a situation like malcolm x and, and i bring him up often but this is another prime example where Malcolm X, the the, the wiretaps that were initially used to surveil Malcolm X by the FBI were used on the grounds of him advocating to start the Rifle Club. A lot of people think Malcolm X was killed because he was black and the implications of him being black, but I, I tend to believe that it was his advocacy of Second Amendment rights and his nationalism, black nationalism, and that black nationalism would eventually merge with white nationalism. And that the second amendment and the the independent business owner and entrepreneur are the bastion against globalism and economic imperialism this is a deep deep three-layered four-layer 10-layer game that the mainstream media has been commissioned to play with the minds of everyday american citizens go get a gun it was never for the united states government to ensure your security and as we as we surrendered our security to the government and to the state during the rise of you know our industrial stage and, and now even more into the radical consumer stage these are all champagne problems and we're all getting off by virtue signaling and having faux outrage because we know we don't have any real control we we know that we're at the government's whim, we're at the establishment's whim, and, and that makes us radically anxious and, and depressed and, and the liberal white woman is the prime example
2: royce I want you to expect, you've said something fascinating here that you saw saw or see a path where black nationalism and white nationalism could merge and and find some synergy and unity. Could you expound on that, why you believe that?
0: Well, well, the early iteration of the Nation of Islam's uh, suggestion around nationalism was that uh, what was a separatist idea, right? That black people should have their own land and their own communities where they govern themselves. Um, I think that was a bit extreme, but uh, again, we were living in a, a different time racially. But I think today to say that black people in America should be nationalists in their mindset and should look and aim to see the black community as as uh, uh, a fundamental pillar of America of the, uh, the fabric of America, and that the rise of, of black communities, the rise of black families, the rise of black individuals is a net positive for the overall rise of America as a nation is fundamentally and categorically true. And so Malcolm was railroaded at a time where his message may have been hard to see uh, the, the trajectory of, but had black nationalism been able to play out, It would have naturally been an ally of what they say is white nationalism, because truly the the nationalist mindset is just to say that once we create a borderless society, once we create a global governance, we lose what America's founding values are, which we can see because the left constantly tries to attack the Constitution and makes all of America's sins, uh, uh, you know, uh, a justification that or a validation that America is inherently bad or evil. Um, But but as we go to globalism, we will lose what it is to be America. And that goes for black people, too. And on the way, black people will continue to be victims. Right. Right. Convenient victims to point to against the liberal neoliberal left's real enemy, which is the working class, but also white Christian men.
2: Royce, what what I always heard. Uh, from the Nation of Islam. What a, you know The Autobiography of Malcolm X is my favorite book of all time. Probably read it a half dozen times. Uh, when I was in college, I listened to a lot of Farrakhan tapes. I've never hidden that. And the message that always appealed to me was self-responsibility, self-destiny, agency. You're in control. That's what always appealed to me. And that's why... What you said rings true to me is because in my early intellectual development, the nationalist, black nationalist movement appealed to me because of self-responsibility. And that whole belief in self-responsibility is why I've been able to build relationships in agreement with conservative white people who believe in self-responsibility. I'm just looking for allies and people that believe in self-responsibility, and I'm just not gonna be an idiot and act like that this country hasn't been good to me, that the sacrifices generations made before me, my parents' generation and generations before that, hasn't made America the ideal place for a black man to live and to achieve. And I want to partner with and be in league with whoever believes in self responsibility and whoever believes in God. And, and I don't care what color they are. Well, there's two, there's two questions to answer at once
0: and we have to be able to answer them simultaneously. Is the game and the system rigged? Absolutely. Is the rigging of the system all uh, 100% predicated on race? No, it's not. It's, it's more predicated on classism and elitism. And Black people as a group, but all working class people and all citizens as a group, have to, have to ask ourselves, what, what is the answer for us as individuals? Is it for us to quit? in a rigged game as individuals because it's rigged? No, we have to continue to develop ourselves and, and continue to work on ourselves and become the best we can be uh, so that we can fight a system that is definitely rigged. Um, but, but mostly what the liberal establishment has, has suggested or promoted is renounce America, renounce your citizenship, renounce your individuality, renounce all of your power over to and will sort out will sort out all of the fairness or unfairness for you and the the real truth behind it is they don't plan for the system to be any fair once they take over they 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 plan for themselves to be in a position so strong that we'll all have to bend the knee or not be able to eat not be able to access water not be able to own land not be able to own a, a gun not to have any ownership that's the communist model is that the individual has no ownership And not just your individual, not your individual self, but individual in the terms of business as well. You won't be able to own a company. You only be able to own a company through the state, Uh, you know, or actually the state will only be able to own a company and you'll be be the manager of of a company that's state-owned. That's communist China, okay? So, you know, Malcolm was brilliant when he said the price of freedom is death. And I think that's something black people have to really take to heart. The price of freedom is death. And he doesn't mean that becoming free happens once you die. It means that you have to wrestle with and accept that death is a possibility that comes with freedom. Okay? And and what's, what's interesting about that Malcolm X quote, which is infamous, one of his infamous quotes, is that it was originally said by Thomas Jefferson. Right? So for for all of the all of the criticism around America's founding fathers and the inception and the Constitution and the racism and the slavery. Malcolm X's one of Malcolm X's most profound quotes comes from Thomas Jefferson.
2: Mm. Malcolm X, Thomas Jefferson. They don't think much different than me. Uh, Royce, thank you so much. Appreciate it. People had no idea that uh, the Tim Anderson, Josh Donaldson, or Kerfuffle had this many legs to it and the conversation could be expanded as broadly as we just did there. But it, but it did. This whole emasculation of men in general, black men in particular, it speaks to a larger issue going on in American society and what the left is doing and, and how they have convinced us that there's no higher form of humanity than being a victim. And so we look for it everywhere. Tim Anderson's looking for it in Band-Aid packages. My God, if he can find it in Band-Aid, he can find it anywhere. All right, uh, let's take care of some business. Summer's almost here. And do you know what you need? Juicy charbroiled over open flame burgers. Now, I don't just mean any burgers, I mean American Wagyu burgers made from some of the best beef you've ever tasted in your life. Our friends over at Good Ranchers are here to help provide the great food that is needed to have a great time. Good Ranchers American Wagyu is raised right here in the United States and produces the rich, buttery texture that people who know their steaks crave. These burgers are individually wrapped so you can easily pull them out and cook them on the grill or in the skillet, and they're good for other meals too. With meat prices soaring, I love that when you subscribe, you lock in your price and get $25 off every box for the life of your subscription. As long as you're subscribed, your price will not change. Two pounds of free Wagyu burgers and zero inflation? What are you waiting for? Go get both by using my code FEARLESS or by visiting GoodRanchers.com FEARLESS. If you don't buy the meat in your house, then tell the person who does to grab your two free pounds of American Wagyu burgers today before they're gone. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. I can't wait. Uh, it's Memorial Weekend, the Indy 500 uh, this weekend. I'm going home. Again, and uh, we're gonna have some good American Wagyu out on the grill. My brother power washed my mother's back deck, and uh, we're gonna do some good ranchers eating on Memorial weekend and see who wins the Indy 500. All right, uh, The Korean Coast sells. Steve Kim, next. All right, welcome back. Uh, Time to roll out to uh, Los Angeles and bring in uh, our main man, uh, Steve Kim, the Korean co-sell. Uh, Steve, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, I had to talk to you about this. Uh, Tim Anderson, Josh Donaldson, Tony La Russa, White Sox, Yankees, uh, oh my God, uh, Tim Anderson, he was called Jackie, and that was racist, and, and I- I've never seen a more overblown thing than this, but it really doesn't surprise me because Tony La Russa is a 77-year-old geezer, stealing a million bucks or a million and a half dollars from the Chicago White Sox, just trying to f- wrap up his career. And the last thing he wants to be accused of is being racist. So he threw gas on this whole deal uh, with Tim Anderson, but I-, I can't wait to hear the Korean Cosell. I- literally, I'm calling you the Korean <laughs> Cosell that's probably racist if we <laughs> ask Tony La Russa and Tim Anderson.
1: Yeah, the Chicago Woke Sox. That's what they are nowadays. And I don't know what is more insulting. What Josh Donaldson said in ribbing Anderson, or Anderson actually comparing himself to Jackie Robinson at all. The irony of saying that you're Jackie Robinson, knowing what he went through as he came into the major leagues in 1947 to break the color line, and to paint Josh Donaldson as this modern-day Enos country slaughter, who was one of many players who openly rebelled and taunted Robinson, it just goes to show you that there are different sets of rules. The one mistake Donaldson made, I think two of them, number one is not realizing there's a different set of rules now. You're not allowed to rib Anderson. And then he basically somehow him and Aaron Boone are trying to softly apologize, which they shouldn't at all, but uh, I guess they're forced to. But the bottom line is this. Uh, Tim Anderson's a shortstop, and he should be treated with kid gloves. Don't say anything to him. Don't kid around with him. No locker room humor. In fact, don't even look his way. Just ignore him. Save yourself the hassle. Here's the other question that I want to ask you, Jason, as someone that was on the beat. Me and you have had to interview uh, athletes before. We've been on the scene in locker rooms and post-game situations where it gets heated. Uh, Today's... Media at large, the corporate legacy media is so gutless. I'd be willing to bet that many of these journalists, if you want to call them that, probably don't have any uh, harsh feelings towards Donaldson. They don't think it's offensive. But because everyone now is under pressure, not to just be, you know, not racist. You have to be virulently anti-racist. In mass, they all jumped on Donaldson, and not one of them, basically, except us two, who fearless, had the guts to say, this is a non-story, Anderson needs to move on and toughen up.
2: Steve, what's offensive to me is, and again, you're mostly in the boxing environment, yeah. and the things that get said inside of a gym are pretty profane, pretty cruel, No, no one's feelings are spared for me as someone coming from the sports world, being an athlete, being in locker room environments, this is so mundane, so tame, so this is the good natured ribbing that has always been a part of sports and, and, Again, I had to go back, we're feminizing sports to the level where you can't even joke with people. And again, I don't think he was trying to be Tim Anderson's best friend. He was trying to get inside his head and poke him. And that, when I think about Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and that era, Michael Jordan <laughs> and the trash talking that went on on the court and was commonplace and was celebrated in sports, that we've now moved to a place where you can't call a guy who called himself Jackie Robinson, you can't call him Jackie, what are we doing to sports?
1: The, the, you said it yourself. We are softening it, but there are two sets of rules. Speaking of Larry Bird, he one time said, if I ever saw a team put a white guy on me, I'd take it as an insult. I don't even know if he'd be able to say that nowadays. <laughs> That'd be a big thing. But, you know, here's the thing that gets me about Anderson – Jackie Robinson had to go through so many things, uh, and then Larry Doby after him for the American League. What you go through right now, Tim, is nothing. It's actually an insult. You need to stop using that analogy because you're. If that actually got you upset, then you're soft, and consider yourself very lucky that you play in this era where you are now treated. Uh, With kid gloves, as I said, and handled like a Faberge egg. As for Tony LaRussa, he's in a very difficult spot, but I don't have a lot of sympathy for him because you think he would be at that age and a status and a place in life where he can at least be honest and say, Look, things got out of hand. Nowadays, we're more sensitive. But for him to flat out say that there was a racist comment said, and then that's all I'm going to say about it, I wish one of the writers would have said, Well, wait a minute. Um, He himself, if they would have known the context, there has to be someone with enough guts to ask LaRusso, well, if a guy calls himself Jackie Robinson, do other players not have the right to derisively uh, use that against them in the field of play? But I believe many of these journalists and writers are simply afraid to say it because in that corporate media sphere, they are not even allowed to defend josh donaldson even if they really believe in the deepest recesses of their mind that he did nothing wrong
2: i'm trying to figure out and not figure out but like if if tim anderson and the white Sox, because some of uh uh tim anderson's teammates rallied around him and said yeah he knew josh donaldson knew what he was doing he was wrong but and i'm like Are we that fragile? Are black athletes and this generation of 40 and below black, are we seen as that fragile that we have to be handled with kid gloves to this level? That I, I hope that that's not the case, but that does seem like where we're headed.
1: Well, look, that's the new standard that's been set by everybody um as it relates to his teammates in situations like this what i have noticed jason is that this then becomes the uh oppression olympics and you're almost bound to defend the teammate especially if he's a minority and because you want to get points you want to get social justice points you want to have that equity and then you want to be invited to the cookout and then you want to be known as an ally and it's ridiculous. A lot of this is about show and tell. Like, see, uh, I defended the guy. I, I, I got his back. And I'm down with the cause. There's, I just don't think there's a lot of sincerity in this. And I, I kind of feel bad for Josh Donaldson. But I hope he realizes the minute you capitulate and you give in and you apologize, that is a slippery slope where you start to go down the abyss. I, I would have, and again, this is not realistic, but if I'm Josh Donaldson, I would have said, uh, I said what I said, you people don't have to like it, but I am not taking it back. I am not sorry. Unfortunately, the issue then becomes the organization themselves. They may have actually forced Josh Donaldson into an apology that much. I do understand.
2: Well, hats off to New York Yankees fans. Who booed uh, uh, Tim Anderson and caught chanted Jackie at him uh, hats off to them for not backing down uh, you know at least somebody's got a pair uh, still swinging between their legs and some and some women with some balls as well uh, I want I want to move on to uh, my favorite athlete of all time. Uh, you know what is tiger like 25 30%, 40 percent tie? Does that make him your Asian brother from another mother? Uh, I'm I'm sure you're some sort of Tiger Woods fan. Uh, He withdrew uh, from the PGA Championship this weekend after a third round 79. I watched every stroke of that. I'm a Tiger Woods nut. I got on my ESPN Plus and and watched that disaster. Uh, And and here was the conclusion I came to, Steve. Either, and, and you helped me decide, either Nike is afraid of Tiger going and playing in the State Farm Buick Open Honda Classic Championship and not making the cut. And so that's why he's only competing in majors at this point because like, oh, it's heroic. He made the cut of a major. Or if he misses the cut in a major, it's not as embarrassing as missing the cut at the Buick Open or one of these mundane, regular, uh, golf tournaments, but if Tiger ever wants to return to form, any type of championship-caliber form, he's going to have to go out and grind it out on the regular tour and get back into playing form. He can't just do it by cherry-picking the majors. If if he does, he's going to do with what we've seen in the last two majors. He'll have a couple of decent Thursdays and Fridays, and then look like, you know, a guy that's just not in shape mentally or physically for the third and fourth round of these major tournaments. He's got to get out here and grind if he wants to get back to any type of championship form.
1: Well, first of all, I am not a fan of Tiger Woods. I'm that rare Asian. I'm a good driver, bad at math, and I hate golf. Uh, I, sorry, the Campbell Nation has never done it for me. I've always believed that his impact on the world has been overblown. I've never understood it. I don't even think – look, I'm not saying he's not an athlete, but the average ordinary four-round prize fighter is a better athlete than any golfer. Okay? Bottom line, and I will die on that hill 50 different times. Now, as it relates to Tiger Woods, what is he right now? I've used this analogy before in boxing. One of my favorite movies, The Blues Brothers. Remember at the end when they had that great concert to save the, uh, the nun and her church? And they said, okay, we have 100 miles to go. We got a full tank of gas and we're wearing sunglasses and it's dark outside. So they have to get to the the city assessor's office to drop off the check. And finally, the Blues Brothers, Jake and Elwood, they pull up and all of a sudden they get to and the car just blows up. Remember that black car? That's Tiger's body. That's Tiger's body. Jay, I completely disagree with you. He's at that point like that classic car. You can only drive him once a week on Sundays. Maybe on Whittier Boulevard for the car show. Drive him nice and slow. Don't take him out on that road trip. He's not meant to drive in traffic every single day. He's not. But in my view, now didn't Tiger win a majors about four or five years ago? It was a great Cinderella story, 2018 or it was so. Just a
2: couple of years ago, he he won okay. the Masters. Just a f- he yeah. won the
1: Masters. Okay, that should have been if he's Muhammad Ali, which he isn't. But if you're gonna make that an- analogy. That should have been his Muhammad Ali beating Leon Spinks in the rematch moment in 1978. It was very obvious that after the Rumble in the Jungle, the thriller in Manila, Muhammad Ali was at the very tail end. He got beat by Leon Spinks in his seventh or eighth pro fight. Then they have the rematch five, six months later at the Superdome. And he wins that fight to become the first three-time heavyweight champion of the world or something. And it was a great momentous occasion. He should have walked away then. Because after that, for Muhammad Ali, was an ill fated fight against Larry Holmes and then Trevor Burbick, which was utterly forgettable. Tiger should have walked away then. Bottom line look, go to the seniors tour. That's what he should be doing. But for Tiger Woods, who at one time was on par, pun fully intended, with Jack Nicholas, this is now sad. I'm not even a Tiger fan. And I feel bad for him, but but I'm just telling you, Jason, he's not he does not have enough in the gas tank to play regularly. He just doesn't. His body is completely broken down.
2: Okay, I'm not even gonna debate you. I disagree with you, but I'm not gonna debate you on that because look, you win the Masters and the Tigers are just 46. You still go out and compete and play. You just won the Masters. Heck, you, if he doesn't have that second car accident, you know maybe he wins this year's Master because Augusta sets up well for him and he knows the course really well. You, you don't walk away and retire after winning the Masters, particularly before this last accident. But here's the question I, I, I want you to ask yourself because what you're saying may be true, but we'll never know if all he does is go out and cherry-pick major tournaments to play in. And so what do you think is driving his decision at the moment to only play in majors? Is it Nike telling him to avoid playing in these regular tournaments and the embarrassment of missing the cut? Or is it Tiger's own ego that couldn't handle uh, getting not making the cut or, or finishing, I think he was like when he – uh step when he withdrew uh Saturday, I think he was in 76th place. Uh is it Tigers ego or is it Nike's advice keeping him out of these regular tournaments?
1: It could be a bit of both, but I'm gonna use another boxing analogy, which absolutely kills me since we're talking about Tiger Woods, a golfer. When most boxers start off as four and six round fighters, they're very, very active. They fight very often, then they become eight-round fighters, then ten round fighters, and they eventually fight for a championship. But they're generally very active within the first, I would say, seven to 10 years of a career if it actually lasts that long. Then, if you become an icon like a Manny Pacquiao, a Floyd Mayweather, an Oscar de la Hoya, when you reach that multi million dollar level and your pay per views are the biggest events in the sports, these guys' activities, uh, activity overall wanes a lot. For instance, Marvin Hagler had almost 70 fights his last three years. Uh, 85, 86, 87, he only fought one time each. There comes a point in time where I believe that Tiger, who's given so much to the sport, he's done it his whole life. I think mentally, he might be more fatigued than his body is broken down physically. In other words, a guy like him can get up for the US Open, the British Open, and the Masters, and I guess whatever that other majors is. So if you allow him to prepare three to four months, like a lot of fighters do with the training camp, to get in there once or twice a year, they're up for it. But if you're going to ask him to play 8 to 10 to 12 tournaments a year, Jason, trust me, there will be a lot of tournaments that right around the 53rd hole, he's just going to wave the white flag and say, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I actually think, and again, I'm going to defend Tiger here. At this stage of his life and his career, because I know what he means to the television ratings of the PGA, they should be thankful that he's even doing this at this moment.
2: Steve, you're not a golf fan. I'm not.
1: He's tied you're right. With,
2: yeah, he, yeah, he's tied with Sam Snead at 82 victories on the PGA Tour. Him getting to 83, that's the consolation prize for not getting to 18 Jack's number of total major victories. And so if he can get to 83 and stand alone ahead of Sam Snead, it's an incredible accomplishment that I'm sure he has in the back of his mind. But I think fear right now is motivating him to stay away from that. Again, because I sat and watched all of that, I listened to broadcasters Thursday and Friday talk, oh, this is so heroic. Tiger grinded it out on the back nine and and shot a 69 and made the cut, you know, by, by a stroke and blah, blah. This is her- they could spin it all. Everything he did Thursday and Friday, even though for him, it was basically average rounds of golf. Uh, they could spin it as heroic in a story. You can't do that at the Buick Open or, uh, you know, the, the uh, Waffle House Invitational. You can't do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> at, at Waffle that House, huh? but he, he's got a history there with Waffle House huh
2: <laughs> yeah I didn't even think about that but I'm telling you 83 is important to him he's got to get the courage to go out there and take the risk and and make and risk missing the cut at some nondescript tournament this little thing of cherry picking majors blowing up in his face hey I want to switch to one other topic outside of sports uh I don't know if you caught this, and I think we have a little clip here. Bill Maher continues to be on a woke-busting rampage mm. on his HBO show. Uh, man, he went off on the transgender movement uh, this Friday, and you know we've seen him go against the woke mob uh, on a bunch of different issues, but to basically hop into Dave Chappelle's frying pan, and go after that. I don't think people saw that coming from uh, Bill Maher here. I think we got a little clip here, a taste of it. Broken down over time, the
1: LGBT population of America seems to be roughly doubling every generation. According to a recent Gallup poll, less than 1% of Americans born before 1946, that's Joe Biden's generation, identify that way. 2.6% of boomers do. 4.2% of Gen X, 10.5% of millennials, and 20.8% of Gen Z, which means if we follow this trajectory, we will all be gay in 2054. (laughs) Gender fluid, kids are fluid about everything. If kids knew what they wanted to be at age eight, the world would be filled with cowboys and princesses. (laughs) I wanted to be a pirate. Thank Thank God nobody took me seriously and scheduled me for eye removal and. I'm,
2: I've been tracking Bill Maher getting red pilled for a solid year, year and a half, maybe two years. I've always liked Bill Maher because I thought he was honest. I thought he was smart. And I've been saying ever since Trump got out of office now that he doesn't have trump to talk about he's going to have to deal with the truth and once he starts dealing with the truth he's going to figure out how bs the woke is uh your thoughts on the red pilling of bill maher
1: all i could say is after those clips in his past weekend show (laughs) if he does a concert at the hollywood bowl i would get extra security if i'm bill maher um But you're right, though. You know, there was a point where I watched that show weekly for years, and there came a point probably halfway through the Trump administration where I said, okay, I can't take it. I I thought Bill lost his way. Now it looks like he's getting back onto the plantation. And I think there's another factor here. I believe he lives in California. Anyone that has a shred of honesty and intelligence or a mixture of both can't see what is going on in our state. Just driving around the city, looking at the crime reports, watching any type of news that has any integrity and think what is taking place in our city is acceptable over the long term. And but this is where people will rip Bill Maher. They only get honest or get outraged when it affects them directly. And I think that's one of the issues people have with the elite, that when you're on the ivory tower on top looking down at us peasants, you don't care. You want us to eat cake. As soon as it affects you, now all of a sudden you become honest and a speaker of truth. But I will give Bill Maher credit, given the fact that the circles that he runs in, uh, I would bet, because I think I've gone through this, you've probably gone through this, when you make your beliefs on this side of the fence, and I guess you want to call it right, so clear and with the platform that he has, he's probably lost friends. And for him to do this so consistently the past 12 to 18 months, as you said, I'll give a tip of the cap. He does deserve some credit.
2: Well, he deserves some credit, but I also think he's a businessman that has his finger in the air uh, that can see that the independent route is the way to go moving forward. And so he started this uh, podcast network of his own, Club Random, I think he calls it. And I think he sees that as the future. He wants the same independence Joe Rogan has. Adam Carolla. Adam Carolla was on his show this past weekend, and so I think he's building his path towards independence and away from the corporate purse strings of an HBO and any other network. And you know, I I think this—he signed a two-year, I think, extension, and I think this is it. He hopes that his podcast takes off and. Did not just see Conan O'Brien just got a deal for his podcast there for 150 million bucks. Bill Maher wants some of that type money. Uh, Let's keep it moving. I think it's time and let's uh, wrap up the show because I think it's time for my favorite segment, the approval rating. All right, thank you for uh, joining me for this approval rating, uh, Steve. I, let's see how low you can go. Tony LaRussa uh, is our topic, uh, as we talked about throughout the show with Royce White and with you as well. Tony LaRussa, a guy that I'm calling a baby groomer, uh, <laughs> is grooming, <laughs> grooming men into being beta males. Uh, so, uh, job performance, I think the White Sox, I think they, they swept that doubleheader and now they're one game above 500 uh, this year. So, uh, you know, Tony Lewis has had a lot of success over the years, uh, won some World Series, very well respected. I'm going to give him a 15 in job performance uh, as a manager of the Chicago White Sox.
1: Yeah, I looked up the record. They're 21 and 20 now, and they're not out of anything, this thing is a marathon. I gave him a 10, though. Um, Just that whole thing just kind of bothers me. Now, if you wanna go overall job performance, which we're not doing, you could probably go higher, but right there, he gets to Bo Derek. Uh,
2: Character is our next. Uh, I'm calling him a groomer, so I don't know how I could be too high uh, in character, and so I'm not, I give him a 10. I'll go Bo Derek in terms of character. I think his behavior this weekend uh, low character. Tony LaRusa a ten in character.
1: Oh, he's a character now. He's he's a Captain SJW, and I gave him a five. No respect <laughs> for that. No respect. He knows what he's doing. Um, he's he's appeasing the mob. He is playing to the crowd. I think the word is called pandering, and that's what he's doing. A five.
2: Uh, authenticity. I think he's completely inauthentic guy's best friends with Bill Parcells and Bobby Knight and now he's a he's a woke social justice warrior are you kidding me now he's you know captain of playing the race card I don't find it authentic at all this guy's been in baseball since professional baseball major league since 1963 and and someone getting called Jackie is racism in this uh, shot below the belt Give me a uh, give me a break. Guys completely inauthentic. I give him a five.
1: You know I'd like to see if Bill Parcells or uh, Robert Montgomery are still friends with them. I I would bet that those two guys were probably sh- rolling their eyes shaking their head and I, I don't know. if I was those two, I would take him off the text chain. I gave him a three. I'm sorry, there's nothing authentic <laughs> about what Tony LaRusa did this past weekend. I
2: would love to see Bobby Knight's texturing uh, and who he's in a texturing with and if he knows how to text. Uh, it factor, uh, look, the guy's had a lot of success. He's been involved in baseball 59 years. I give him a 16 in it
1: factor. You know, this is where I actually did factor in his whole career. And I still remember as a kid, he was the manager of the Chicago White Sox in the early 80s, actually won the AL West. And then he had, I would think, a dominant run, even though they only won one World Series with the Oakland Athletics. He was ahead of his time in terms of the bullpen usage and platooning and all that stuff. And I think he won a title or two with St. Louis. Look, when you hire a Tony La Russa, even at this age, that means you have a shot. That That's a serious manager with Hall of Fame credentials. So with that, I have to give him credit. I gave him a 20.
2: All right. Uh, you got him at 38, a dumpster fire. I have him just barely it at a 46. Uh, mm. Steve, thank you uh, so much. Uh, a great start to our week here on Monday. Korean Kosel. I'm gonna let you go. And I'm gonna let you guys go, cause I hear tomorrow, and that means we'll see you tomorrow. Like standoff,
3: nothing in like, like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder. Making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. i my back for freedom. Blessed, we are living, get back. We are receiving, all when We all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be. I just want, I want to be. I just want, I want to be. I just, want, I wanna be. I just i oh.